Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of League One on the Rocks. I am Rich. You can find me on Twitter at I'm Rich, but I'm not. I'm joined, as always, by the co-host extraordinaire, Brian, on Twitter at Mediocre Ace, otherwise yep. known as Brian from Omaha. Yep, that, that is me. Um, I don't I don't have anything clever to say, but that is me. <laughs> there we go. Well, I have been working through a huge migraine all day today, so I'm going to be foregoing the alcoholic beverages today. So I have lovely tap water that I'll be drinking today. So, Brian, what are you drinking tonight? I went back to the West Cork Irish whiskey and doing that again. I've got about half the bottle down after last night's debacle with Union Omaha. So, yep. Yep. So I would normally, uh, at this point, you know, throw out a pro store cheers or something like that, but I mean, doing a toast with water is bad luck. So I'm not going to do that. So Brian, feel free to keep drinking. Oh yeah. Not always. I mean, yeah. that's my role on the show pretty much, you know, just drink and then the bad takes come out later. <laughs> well, for those who joined us last night for the digital, I don't know. When we were watching the Union Omaha game together, we threw out a little bit of uh, news to you all that we were going to be doing an interview tonight. And if you don't know already, the our guest tonight is an NCAA All-American swimmer with Drury University. And she is also an aspiring DJ. She's going to be talking about that a little bit here. Uh, married to an awesome musician. And she was just recently invited to be a keynote speaker there we go there keynote go. speaker so she's got a long list of accolades in her life and we're gonna welcome her now from fc tucson we have amanda powers joining us how are you hey rich brian <laughs> it's so nice to finally you know see your faces after some email exchanges and yep. i'm doing great um i'm in the i'm in our clubhouse which is a forty thousand square foot building that the Arizona Diamondbacks left here in Tucson years ago and has been our home for about 10 years. And so, um, you know, every now and then I hear the build, building creak. And if I look that way, I'm just waiting for some ghosts to come out. But um, <laughs> Tis I, the I'm season. great. Uh, I, I'm great. Our office is a little exhausted this week in case you didn't catch, catch what happened on Tuesday night. Um, we, we've had some some luck this season to say the least <laughs> and uh we were all here till about 1 a.m breaking down the game um happy though you know with the win um but yeah so i've got um my front office staff and technical staff are out doing a clinic in a little community about 20 minutes north of downtown tucson right now so giving away a free clinic to 100 kids and i got another half of my staff who's gonna come out tomorrow night for an awards dinner um fc tucson was a nominated for an award here in town so um you know what we're, we're we're tired but we're good here we're 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 all really passionate about what we're doing nice well i'm, I'm glad you waited longer than the seven seconds it took for your team to score against union omaha to mention that goal so thank you for delaying that long <laughs> Yeah, no worries. I, you know, Tarn is is my favorite player this year. I've I bought his um, auction jerseys and 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 I've traveled with the team a few times this season. And he's such an interesting young man. He's a true professional player, you know. And he's he he fights for a little guy. He he's he plays very very hard. And so um, I was happy to see him kind of you know break through and and break through in a really big way. Cool. Nice. Yeah, it was 
exciting match for all the wrong reasons for Union Omaha, but it was an exciting match for all the right reasons for FC Tucson. That was that was a, you know, it would have been a good one to watch if you were a Tucson fan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it would have been great if we had the fans, you know, True. Um, yeah. but we did it that night. And, and that's, I think, like the fourth game this year where it's been almost like a neutral location um, because of the weather. And it's, um, you know, we named our kits the monsoon kit because in southern Arizona, you get the monsoon rains and um, they weren't here in 2020, uh, which was my first year living here. But they but they showed up last year in a big way. The wettest summer on record, 24 inches plus of rain. And this year it's just been brutal. And it's not so much the rain, it's the lightning. Um, mm -hmm. It creates like gorgeous skies, but it's been quite a doozy on us on top of the injuries that we've had. And so it's nice to feel like like Tuesday nights when, you know, we can debate about that PK if you want. But, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you get a gift in this game and you just take it, especially yeah. after you've had a lot of bad breaks. So um you know we're we're focused and ready to go but we you know we it's been nice to feel like we almost forgot what it was like to win because sitting in the bottom of the table all season's been been tough and you know how do you balance that that mood in the office when you know your you know your players downstairs are struggling and i really appreciate what coach perlman's been saying um on his you know post-match uh press conferences talking about how you know if you're sitting in 11th place all season long bottom of the table that locker room could have given up halfway through the season already and they mm -hmm. didn't and they're continuing to fight you know we had that last push last year so i think that like that energy is kind of coming back into play um and so yeah it's nice to you know i've got photos of uh rich strike all over the office uh you know rich strike was the 80 to 1 odds winner of um, kentucky derby this year and um when you come into our front office here you'll just see pictures of rich strike everywhere and you know we're still in it uh, mathematically so we're gonna just keep riding that as much as we can and channel rich strike so instead of ted lasso's believe you have rich strike pictures all over the office that's cool <laughs> Yeah, well, well, no, we well. So late last year, when we um, got to uh, put Richmond in their place in that last game, and then get the home advantage for the playoff, um, we were doing a Ted Lasso believe campaign. My VP of marketing, he dressed up like Ted Lasso, looks just like him. We actually require everybody that works here to watch it because um, you know it's very much like our culture here. It's not goofy or anything. I mean, I'm a pretty serious businesswoman, but. You know, we we try to play up to that a little bit, and um, yeah. So on my door in the office, everywhere is the believe signs still from last year. Yeah, nice, very nice. Yeah, I gotta say though, did you guys see that Ted Lasso like FIFA game is coming out? I did. <laughs> I, yes. How are yeah. you feeling about that? Uh, <laughs> so. It's pretty cool to see that a fictional team is being placed in the game. I'm a little upset that they rank higher than Aston Villa in the game. <laughs> you have a team that's down in, are they in the championship or are they league one at this point? Uh, no, they're in championship in the show. So you have a, a championship team that's actually ranked better than Aston Villa, who's in the premier league. So I don't know about that. Yeah, well, FIFA never well, really makes that much sense. So. <laughs> Well, do you guys ever go to, um, what is it, 538? Uh, Nate Silver, um, statistician. He calls elections, oh. but he also has really mm -hmm. great sports stats. 
yeah. and he's actually got the global professional soccer rankings on there. So nice. you can see where USL championship league one teams uh, rank in the world. Huh? And um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few league USL league one teams ahead of some USL championship teams here. Hey, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So check out Nate Silver's uh, 538. Cool. Uh, yeah. Rankings, global soccer rankings. It's pretty cool. Definitely a talking point, um, you know, when we're trying to educate sponsors, prospective partners, uh, people in the community, even youth soccer coaches to try to educate them about what this level of pro soccer is and where it's going. And, you know, it's nice when you can pull up like a website like that and show, you know, Phoenix Rising's ranked 300 or, you know, top top 200 or something like that and go, you know, that that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Cool. Well, since we were just talking about the, the game last Tuesday, I want to ask you about the interesting decision involved in not allowing fans into the stadium, but allowing family and staff and all that kind of stuff into the stands. So the only reason I'm asking is because would it still be considered a safety issue having people in the stands with like the staff and the family and everything versus having all the fans in there as well? So I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> Cause I think Jamin, it was taking a bunch of pictures of us in the stands and we just said, Jay, everybody who's sitting in the stands, their faces are on our website under the club staff. Yeah. There was no additional family or friends there. Um, let me, I think that FC Tucson is a really great representation of a lot of soccer clubs in America right now that don't have their own home and are at the behest of a stadium operator that doesn't quite understand your business and doesn't quite understand your stakeholders and all the moving parts that go into putting in a game. And we've been here 12 years um, and we rent from a you know government entity and they do a lot of youth soccer tournaments and they have a lot of similar policies that they try to boilerplate and apply to us. And that's kind of the fight that we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis and why we advocate to have our own facility, a soccer specific facility, um, because when inclement weather comes up, we have a league protocol. All of us in the league um, that work on the operation side has an app. We use that as the word, um, and then we apply a seven and a half mile radius lightning strike. The weather that we were experiencing in the delay was horrific. I mean, there was a storm sitting on top of us for three hours of lightning. Um, and you guys, I mean, you guys get tornadoes and lightning, I'm assuming in, in, in Nebraska, it's, it's no joke, you know? Um, and so, the weird thing about this is that um, this inclement weather policy that we have to adhere to with, with the stadium operator actually contradicts what, what the league re requires. And what the league requires is um, the referee has the final say. And if, um, let's just say, uh, we got clearance to go and play the game um, and after waiting 30 minutes from the last lightning strike, you know, that's a pretty standard policy. If you're a stadium operator and you manage the facility yourself, you might fudge it a little bit, you know, get down to five miles, four miles. Um, but you certainly don't want to put your fans at risk. Um, and so interestingly enough, um, we... <laughs> 
the, 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 some of the challenges that we face is trying to get some consistency and, and getting people to understand and come over to our side and understand what's at stake when we don't open those gates to our fans. What's at stake for us? We lose revenue. I have to refund tickets. I have to deal with an onslaught of very upset traveling fans and families. I mean, JP Sears had, I think, like requested 30 tickets. I mean, I knew that, I know you bring brought a big, um, you know, I knew you brought a big contingency out. Um, and so we try to accommodate that because that's what helps to make the environment so awesome. Um, now that we're finally building these great rivalries within the league, we, and then when you find, you know, a traveling group of fans, we try to make every attempt to let people in. However, um, the odd sort of policy that has been made up on the spot, um, from our stadium operator is that, um, once we get that clearance of lightning, um, they are okay letting the players come on and do their warmups and letting us, the staff, you know, figure, finish setting up, you know, cause we do a pop-up stadium. We, we have to set up our flags, our hospitality area, everything. And so we get delayed with that too. Um, if there's any bad weather before the game. And, but if here's the caveat of this policy, they'll allow the game to go ahead and get played. Um, but if they see any lightning, even though, the app says you can't, you know, the app says it's all clear. You're outside seven and a half miles. This stadium operator says, well, if we can still see the lightning, I'm not opening the doors. And to play, if I have to, and if I have to think about it from their lens, okay, they've got a, they've, we, we have more staff there than they do, but um, w- you know, what, what is it that um, you have to think about? Well, what if, the way the lightning works here it's so erratic like it could come leave come back it's like circular and so i think in in one respect uh the stadium operator just said you know why bother opening the gates right now if we're gonna have to shut it down in another 30 minutes and take everybody out um because that's happened you know this year and so um believe me i've had my um fights about this and um I just, there's nothing really I can do at that point. And so what we were cleared, and it makes no sense to me. um, I have no shame in saying that. And we're trying to advocate for better policies with our new lease agreement. But ultimately, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. I, I, I want my ESPN broadcast to look great. I know you guys have watch parties. I know you're up late um, and we, we understand that and we're trying to deliver a good product and I wish we could have had fans there that night. And there were several instances where we were trying, you know, we had, there was some staff that had made some requests for some exceptions to the rule and our DSO director of soccer operations is just like, I can't, we, we can't, it's a liability. Now you're crossing, you know, you're, you're crossing your stadium operator and kind of going against what they're saying. So we saw those fans, they, they came through and they had, they were standing just outside. They walked up to watch one half of the game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really tough place to be. Um, and it's, it's, it's been very challenging to say the least. And, and I hate to say it, but like, I, I, I have, I have, we have, tr- we have tried to adapt and tried to work within these sort of moving goalposts ever since I got here and, you know, started a season in March, 2020. Um, you know, so 
it's just one of those things that lower division soccer has to kind of deal with when we're playing in baseball stadiums with different operators. I mean, you guys are in a little bit of a different situation, but um, you know, any soccer team, like, you know, Orange County obviously is having their set of issues with their operator. And we're probably in the most comparable sort of market is that situation. Um, and, and that's where, you know, where, where I like to spend my time, you know, trying to, to get bigger, bigger ideas, bigger thoughts about what soccer has the potential to do for the community and start lead with that and get them to fall in love with the club and understand the business and then be able to kind of move the conversation over to, all right, let, let's, let's try to, you know, I, I, we don't even, they, they don't even allow tailgating in our parking lots, unfortunately as well. They do, but we can't promote it. So, um, you know, trying to build supporter culture after a pandemic, after Phoenix rising bought your team and left, you know, I, I have had, uh, I've been watching, what is it? Uh, Rexham United. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that like the interim CEO said something to the effect of like, when you're in the national league, it's like the hardest, it's the hardest job in football in the world. And I'm like, Oh, I feel like that's me in league one <laughs> in, in Southern Arizona right now. But we, we do the, we do the good fight because we believe, um, and you know, when you've had success with clubs in the past and obviously, you know, it was a shame that, and I, I've talked to Gary Green about this, like, you know, he told me, he's like, man, we could have had like what you guys had at New Mexico United and caught lightning in a bottle had that pandemic not happened in 2020. I mean, you guys really did a great job of building the, the club, the brand. I think you guys worked with Matt Wolf on the design. Um, but yeah, I was watching you guys from afar and, and, and it's so much of that, those ingredients of having like passionate soccer people like yourselves who are willing to do the podcasts, are willing to show up to the pubs and just sit around and talk, um, about, you know, how we can improve the supporters or improve the team or improve the culture of the community. So, um, you know, so I choose to spend a lot of my time in the community trying to get people you know, on that way. And I'm just like, one day we'll have our own facility, I hope. And we, 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 we can maybe fudge that lightning and that rule to, to make it more suitable for our needs. Yeah. Well, speaking of awesome. fighting that good fight and that belief and community and everything, you're going to be speaking at a conference on Saturday and it's all about, you know, hyping up the, the 2026 world cup and soccer in America. So, I mean, you don't have to give your yeah. whole speech here and now, but what are some of the highlights of, of what you're going to be talking about there? Yeah. So, I mean, prior to getting into soccer, I, I built, I was a, I was in economic development and I, and I did a lot of grassroots community work um, in Albuquerque and, and I grew up with some, you know, in an activist household at the union hall. So I, I've watched my parents through that, you know, medium sort of build movements. And I feel like that's what we're doing. Um, when you think about what happened when the U.S. men didn't qualify in 2018 and you had all these passionate American outlaw fans, just like the energy just got sucked out of the room and everybody, you know, was getting older. Maybe they got a bigger job. Maybe they have kids. They've got a lot of things going on. And, and, and you've seen we've seen this with the Cactus Bricks, our supporters group, you know, and then, of course, the pandemic. A lot has shifted in, in, in all that momentum that had been built up and then this sort of lull. And how do we, how do we like, 
how, what's our value prop? Like, how do we bring people back into the game and not just bring them back, but bring them back super excited and passionate and willing to, you know, throw some money down for a season ticket, um, come out to a, a match, rain or shine, win or lose, um, and, you know, and, and come to a watch party. Um, and so, you know, I use those kinds of context and to, to help try to solve and restore things to a better place. And that's, you know, my strengths. And so um, when I was sort of looking at coming down to Tucson, the opportunity was presented to me as, you know, more or less a turnaround job. Um, but, you know, I I'm excited about that. And, and, and then of course we're 45 minutes from the border. I have this beautiful 40,000 square foot clubhouse complete with, you know, all the amenities we, we, we have the best facilities here. And I mean, better than a lot of USL championship teams, to be frank. Um, and then, you know, I see this community that's sort of dominated by the University of Arizona, which is no slouch, has great sports. Um, but I was feeling like this isn't, this city cannot just be defined by the University of Arizona. It's a Mexican, indigenous, Anglo community with this, you know, Spanglish, Span everybody speaks Spanish, everybody's um, really, you know, proud of their culture, really proud of um, being a Tucsonan. And we've got to tap into that and find out where our sort of centers of excellence are within the game here. So um, this, this talk is sort of something that's evolved over the last three years um, and I've, I'm good friends with Amanda Vandervoort. She and I are, have extensive market research backgrounds, and she studied the supporters quite a bit of all the MLS teams. And so we, we, we understand the consumer that we're trying to actually reach is not necessarily you guys. It really is the sports fan or the person who really loves their community. And, and, and that's how I got into the game was, you know, I, I there was a businessman who owned the PDL team, the Albuquerque soul. And he, and I was like, sure, I, I, I don't, I'm not really into soccer, but I'll support your, your thing. <laughs> and I get the scarf and spend my 50 bucks on a season ticket and go to those games at the high school. And then the last game of the year is fireworks. And I was like, huh, okay, this is interesting. I haven't really experienced soccer. And I, you know, I met with him and I was like, what are you trying to do with this team? Like, where can it go? And as, and, and, and I just realized in all this time, like so many people, even people who are youth soccer coaches don't know what's happening in the American soccer pyramid. They don't know what's happening with um, the academy programs that many of our clubs are putting out there and the kinds of talent that's now, you know, winning seven figure, um, you know, transfers and sell-ons to Europe. Like that, that's, that's never happened. And what's interesting with the League One guys that we all our teams are playing with is a lot of them are first year pros just coming out of college. And you have to remember that when they went into college, League One didn't even exist. And so they're coming out of college going, oh, I can I can keep playing soccer and get paid. And even though I got that finance degree, I can keep doing the game that I, I love, do some side hustles. Maybe I can coach. And so I'm kind of looking at all this and I'm like, wow, there's so many little knowledge gaps that we have to close throughout our industry in such a short amount of time. And what's going to happen if you knew as a business person that there's going to be this monumental event 
three billion viewers. You know, the the Super Bowl I think is a hundred million viewers. Three billion viewers on on the World Cup. All these people who are going to descend, uh, you know, upon the United States, Mexico, and Canada to have this. Like, if you told me that it, that, and I was in a soccer industry, I'd say that is a monumental event that I stand to gain maybe two x growth in my business, maybe three x. And then when you think about that, okay, t- tough problem to have. How are you going to support that? If we don't have enough licensed coaches in the ecosystem now, if everything is play, pay to play soccer with 30% of the youth soccer kids are playing ECNL or Academy and, you know, they're playing these higher levels. What about that other 70% of kids that drop out of the game at 12 and what the recreational side? And what about the sort of fracturing of all these youth soccer clubs Pima, you know, surf, you know, all these groups that are now just selling their name and putting it across the country. And we're still not even like acknowledging why all this investment in youth soccer, why it's there. Is it just to go to a D1 school? Or are we talking about the U.S. men's national team? Are we talking about what we stand to gain in the next four years? Do we have enough coaches? Do we have enough referees? Do we have enough facilities? Um, And we need to all come together both the pro teams and the youth ecosystem to come together and say, okay, how, how can we work more synergistically? And so I, I kind of, I was talking to Amanda Vandervoort about this. I was like, do you think us soccer would be interested in us kind of going around the country and pitching like a soccer core where, you know, you're, we're creating these sort of closed loop systems where maybe I have a player who's a third year pro um, USL offers a C license right now on a fast track for third year pro players. The W league is doing the same for the women's team. I mean, my pro guys, if I can enter, if my guys are coming in a market for one year, max three year contracts, I need to get them integrated in the community because I need those kids to see a professional player in front of them every day. I need them to like have that tangible experience so they get more bought in not just so that I can sell a ticket to him down the road, but it's really to ignite the imagination of that young player to go, wow, I didn't know. Like, because all these kids, including the girls, they're watching Premier League. So many young girl players aren't even watching the NWSL. In fact, I was with a group of of young, um, a a friend of mine actually that I grew up with in San Diego, lives in Oklahoma City. And um, she texted me on Friday. She's like, I'm in Tucson. And I was like, oh, are you here for the youth soccer tournament? No, no. My daughter is a junior and she's one of Becca Morrow's recruits. And I said, oh my gosh, that's great. So I got to go to the women's game on Sunday, U of A. And I'm standing around these six top D1 soccer recruits. And I'm like, who's your favorite player? Alex Morgan? You know, she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, did you see what the San Diego Wave did? And they were like, what? I, they don't, they don't know. They, they don't, they don't, they don't know. And so I'm just really curious. I'm a curious person who wants to solve for that because if we're going to spend time and energy on marketing, selling tickets, doing all these things to try to, you know, keep these, these clubs afloat, we need to be solving for that issue. And so that means just greater integration with the clubs. And so for my talk, because we host the uh, MLS and USL clubs here for preseason every year uh, for the last 12 years, 
um, we, we have a demonstrated ability to host clubs. So I, um, I, a professional team. So I'd like to put a bid in to, to host, um, the, the teams here to train in 2026. Um, that process actually starts this year. So that's one of my call to actions. And my talk is really kind of broken down to casting a big vision of 2026, this urgency to bring the community together to, to do coaching and facilities not and stop charging, increasing rates for field rentals. We need to double down right now on our kids, especially after the pandemic and, and give this game and, and, and quality coaching free as much as possible. That's my belief on that. Um, and so um, the, the other parts of my talk are talking about workforce, um, job creation and economic development. And so <clears throat> with us, if we've got a player who we think would be a good fit for FC Tucson Youth, which has 3,000 kids, um, you know, and they need to make some extra money, um, we'll connect that player. And, you know, it's also it, it's also important to us that, okay, what's, what's happening with this player's life once they decide to retire from soccer? That's a whole other issue that, you know, the Premier League has to deal with. They have all sorts of experts that are trying to help these young men that come out of the academies. And they don't know what to do with their lives, you know. Um, and so there's that element that we try to watch out for our players on and try to make them well-rounded humans. Um, in the event that a player wanted to stay here and wanted to retire, um, we have our academy program. And so I'm applying for some CARES Act money, actually, um, to offer up 20 different clinics and camps next year. And I can go and hire coaches that have all been volunteer coaches now we can actually pay them and people don't have to do that side hustle like my women's head coach on, on my uh, amateur women's team you know she has to do a day job but she loves to coach there's just no full-time opportunities for her and then how do we get her on a licensing track so you know i know it sounds kind of weird that you know the president of a pro team is worried about these things but it's about job security and it's also about the success that we all stand to gain if if we all kind of get on the same page and try to work towards being there and ready for that goal in four years. And the first and, the, and, and if right now we've got 13, 14 year old boys in our academy program or we're finding kids who aren't even in an academy program, but they have what it takes and maybe they're eight years old, man, you know, let's get them in the right pro training environment. And let's let's make sure that they're getting on on a path to to stand out. Um, so yeah, this talk is really um, you know I'm, I'm kind of my like um, there's still a lot of people in this community who don't know who FC Tucson is. I'm sure it's the same with Omaha, um, and um, we need to change that. And so my big idea, if I can talk about job creation social mobility, creating networks for people um, who would not normally have a job in sports. So many people don't think like that are content creators or mathematical people just never think to have a job in pro sports, just like me. I, I never thought I would work in sports growing up, even though it was a total jock. So it's just closing a lot of that information gap and then um, being able to give people a big idea and and to seize the moment. And, and hopefully what I'm hoping is, is that some people get really fired up by what I'm telling them and they go, you know what, before you spoke, I, I never watched a soccer game or cared. And now I'm all in. Where do I buy season tickets? I, I'd love to get that response. 
But I think I'd also like to have this response from some key, you know, business leaders and some of the, you know, political leaders in the existing establishment to say, you know what, we want to work with you. You know, we, we want to help you, you know, get your own stadium or we want to help you, um, you know, we want to sponsor your team, you know, and, and that's what it takes. That's truly what it takes to make these teams a success is to have other people become your megaphone but you got to bring a big idea. And so because the last piece, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here, but the other, the other aspect of this talk is um, this is a region. We are in the region of Sonora, Mexico, and Sonora is really baseball country. Um, The closest thing to professional soccer is in Hermosillo, which is about four and a half hours south of here. And it's the Cimarrones who are actually, it's the Liga MX Expansion. So second division, um, soccer. Um, and we've, we've, we've met with their ownership group and talked with them and we think there's some great synergies there. Um, we need to be working binationally. So I have great relationships. I work here with the Tucson Hispanic chamber. I work with the consulate. Um, and we need to try to have some, you know, international matches on the border. Uh, we need to go down South of the border and find out maybe where the next talent is. And I truly believe that, um, if you're trying to penetrate like Latino Spanish speaking markets, you have to present them a, a reason to care about second and third division men's soccer. And I think because they're so obsessed with, you know, the Mexican national team and Liga MX and Premier League or Barcelona, um, <laughs> um, that you, I think the pathway to getting them interested is what if we had a free academy program for your son or daughter? And what if we could boast in four years from now that we developed the next brightest Mexican national team star here in Tucson? And so, um, you know, there's about a billion dollars that's spent in the Tucson economy each year with Mexican national spending. Um, And, you know, we need to figure out how can we bring that to the table? So um, that's, you know, that's kind of the talk. Um, is kind of introducing soccer more through an economic development and workforce lens um, rather than kind of talking nerdy uh, about, about, you know, supporter culture and whatnot. So going off of the economic development, player development, business development, you seem very inspired to get people to the next step to help them succeed in life. Is there an upcoming initiative within USL for professional development, like you were talking about earlier with the player who has a degree degree in finance. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is there, is USL opening up professional development opportunities down the line? I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I went to Kansas city to watch union Omaha play a preseason game against sporting Kansas city's second team. And while we were sitting in the, in the stands watching them play, uh, Renato Bustamante, he plays for Fuego FC was sitting just a couple rows behind us because he was getting his C coaching degree or coaching license, uh, mm-hmm. I think C or B, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it kind of goes in line with what you were saying about the the, the development of these players who want to, to continue on. So is there going to be a professional development committee or initiative within USL for these players to fill mm-hmm. those knowledge gaps? I think that the USL is making great strides for the clubs to think more like that. Uh, there's no discussions right now of actually forming any sort of committees, but 
obviously um, with the um, um, partnership with the um, university there in, 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 in New, New, Nebraska, totally slipping my mind right now. Webster, what is it? It's purple logo. Bellevue University. Bellevue. So I don't know if you know this, but part of the Bellevue partnership is that we get to scholarship at two scholarships every year, education scholarships to our players. So sometimes, so like, you know, um, if a player gets drafted out of college, and, and th unfortunately this is kind of common, um, they get drafted by an MLS team, you know, top 25, 30 pick. And they, 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 they kind of flame out in, in preseason. Um, you know, they'll get picked up by a championship team or a league one team. And that it's very often sometimes that when a, when a young man is drafted, they might not be done with school yet, or they might not have even gone to school at all, but they go ahead and pursue a pro contract at the league one level. And so I'm not trying to diss the league one level of play, but somebody needs to be there helping that young person make a good decision right there, which is if you've got a full ride to go play D1 soccer versus going and playing league one, I'm going to probably recommend, depending on the player, but more than likely I'm going to recommend, and so will John Perlman 90% of the time, that player goes to that D1 scholarship and gets their free education because you do need to have that as a fallback. Um, and I think that this sort of the enticement of turning pro sometimes can have people kind of make some short-sighted decisions. And so, um, and, and, and so what we have to do, so, so that's an important element that we try to advocate for and help out with. Um, you know, the Pima Community College here has the number one men's and women's soccer pro program in America. In fact, we're hosting the National Junior College Championships here in November. Um, so we're kind of excited about a potential Pima College final, both the men and women being played here on, in home. Um, but, you know, Dave Cosgrove, who's the head coach of that team, he heads up, he's a director of uh, coaching for uh, FC Tucson Youth. Um, you know, he's, he's very motivated to try to get his players on D1 school. And if not, he'll direct them to, to Pima. Um, and so if there's anywhere in there that we can connect with Pima and say, or with those players and say, hey, um, you know, do you want to come be a practice player with us? Um, maybe you want to make some extra money, equipment manager. You start out as a volunteer coach or hopefully with this grant money, we can start paying them. But, you know, starting to get, starting to put them in different places. Maybe we set tracks or modules um, you know, for different, you know, maybe they do a sales, a sales marketing module for a little bit and they come up and do some things. Um, and, or we do like an operations module where they'll learn all about ad to what the team admins and equipment managers do. Um, um, or they can go and, you know, sit in with sessions. We just had our assistant coach get his, finish up his A license. And actually, um, when I went to go watch the sporting Omaha game, open cup match, I went to the national team training center there and he was there getting his a license which was really just kind of cool to see that and i think if we can kind of tell that story and 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 show like the national team's training center 
you know, the pro what it takes to actually pursue and complete an A license when you're already juggling some things. Um, you know, I, I would say that the, the league is, is totally, you know, hiring Mark Cartwright, the director of sporting was a major move too, because he's bringing in his experience at the premier league and kind of talking about the nuts and bolts that you don't normally see behind the scenes on developing players. And when you've got a player who sadly, you know, it's like his whole life is riding on this pro football thing and it's just not going to work out for them. You know, we have a responsibility to these young men, I feel like, um, to make them better men and, and whole men, not just footballers. Um, and so if, if the league is going to start anything like that, I'd certainly like to be on that committee. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, that's my why, you know, I want to come and work on big ideas with a collaborative group of people and do big things that people said couldn't be done. Um, so, um, you know, so I, I, I think that we're on the right track. If we're going to kind of incubate this potential for like a workforce program, we have the perfect facility to do so. I have five practice fields behind me. I have my stadium. Um, we could build futsal courts, you know, in the old batting cages down. I, I'd love to be able to do that and create like a true soccer hub and culture um, here. So, um, but it's definitely on my mind um, because of the pandemic's impact on kids' participation in sports as a whole. And, you know, trying to <laughs> let these this younger generation that's coming up not feel apathetic about their future and let them actually, you know, take ownership of their future. Um, and so that's why so many of our community initiatives are, are geared towards that and um, and workforce. So whether it's a game day, you know, position, I, I we pay cash, we hire kids from Eller and some of the high schools and the local youth teams. Um, the ball boys, the academy, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to kind of create that closed loop system of developing the whole player or, or potential coach. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I know you had talked a little bit earlier about committees and, and stuff like that. So we know you were on the COVID task force in 2020 and, you know, you guys were focused on bringing the league back safely and everything like that. And it seems to me like, you know, just from listening to you and hearing you before that you have kind of a curious, intuitive mindset. And so what were some of the things that you guys did to take advantage of that opportunity of being the only thing in town that was running at the time? Yeah. Yeah, that, that I have to say, you know, it, it's so surreal. Um, you know, I had moved down here January 1st, 2020, and my husband was back in Albuquerque, and um, I had to quickly put an MLS preseason together. I had to quickly put a team together. I promoted John Gallus to head coach. Um, I, I mean, we were trailing so far behind every other team in the league at that point. And when our season tickets went on sale March 11th, the season went on hiatus March 12th. Yeah. I had, um, had, had bought my front office staff um, tickets to the New Mexico United home opener on March 20th or 21st. 
and um, flights and tickets. And I really wanted my new staff to see and taste what I believed we were going to build. And that also fell on the same weekend that I was going to move back to Albuquerque and move out of my house. And my house also came with goats. So it wasn't a normal move. Um, and, you know, I had moved into this, uh, this, this house before I had left for this Albuquerque trip. And, by, you know, obviously the, the flights and the game got canceled and, you know, all that happened. And I'm sitting in this new house and I have this incredible view of the city and I have no furniture and I'm like literally sitting on the ground, getting ready to leave to Albuquerque. And I'm just looking around and going and watching the city just shut down. You know, the I-10 freeway, which gets millions of cars a day. I mean, everything just went. And I'm just like thinking there, like, this feels like I'm about to go into battle. And I had never, I have competed at, at very high levels. I, I operate under a, you know, pretty high stress baseline. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm not, you know, I try not to get too scared about things, but I, I felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility come over me. And this inner voice that said, you don't know what you're about to face, but this team needs you. And, um, and uh, I, I, I had to speak actually at a, a rotary event. I was invited to speak at a rotary event. And I went and dug up the story about the World War I soccer in the trenches, Armistice Day, where they put the guns down, came out of their trench warfare to go play a game of footy. And I just anchored my whole talk around that. And, you know, we've all read or heard or watched how awful trench warfare was um, during World War One, and how how many had people had just died, and to to and and, this, and to to be able to break away, to experience some joy, I thought that's going to be our role. That's going to be our role in this. Is that we we are going to be that, and so um, you know the, the I have to say. Um, and I know you've interviewed Darren. Darren Van Tassel and I are good buddies. And, and Nitra. Nitra um, has been to my home, no, has, loves my husband. We're, we're, good, we're good friends. And, and he, was, he was a fabulous fellow Board of Governor committee member to work with. Um, and the discussions that the Board of Governors, you know, if you recall, North Texas was in the league in 2020, and that's owned by the Hunt family. So our board of governors calls had the hunt family on them and to be on calls where with some very, you know, successful business people to have, and, and everybody said the same thing. There was so much humility, so much grace when we were facing, you know, the unknown um, and, and the potential to lose a lot of money and a lot of misinformation on timing for things. Um, it was so powerful to just know that we were all on the same level. Nobody was better than on those calls because nobody had dealt with this before. And to have that board of governors, um, you know, hear the Hunt family say like, well, I'm open to whatever y'all think, you know, like we, we, <laughs> we don't know. And, and I think that's, that's kind of like the powerful aspect that COVID did represent, which was 
you know, Mother Earth's sick. If you, there's a new operating system. And if you don't download the software, you're not going to function very well in this new sort of operating system. And I think it requires more transparency, collaboration and humility and innovation. And I saw that in this group. And, um, you know, there were some, some teams that were like, well, we're just going to go ahead. And I got sponsors and I got tickets. And I'm thinking like, oh, this, this is not going away <laughs> right away, <laughs> you know? So it taught me a lot. Um, you know, I, 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 um, you know, we talk about culture. Culture is a popular word now, right? And um, I was talking about ethos because we had a defining moment when we were talking about moving forward with our season. Um, you know, yeah, the opportunity is great. You are literally going to be one of the only games on ESPN Plus that's live. It's a great opportunity to expose the USL. Um, and what I want everybody to make clear and let's get on the same page is we need to agree that we're fighting for something this year. It's not just to get through the season because we're going to have to remind our fans all the time that we're playing for something. And, and we need to define what that is because the other, the and, and the other aspect of that is, you know, we're going to, you got to build your bench because when, you know, somebody tests positive for COVID and they got three roommates, guess what? That whole apartment's going down. And you saw that happen. We had one positive case all season. And that, and we were very, very good about the protocols. My um, then John Perlman was then the VP of soccer ops. His wife was an ICU nurse. So every night we, we, we heard the horror stories of what was happening. And, um, you know, we took the protocols very seriously. I was able to, you know, save the company about $50,000 by getting a testing sponsorship. So again, we were just innovating, pivoting, um, having, I, I'm actually, work, I'm making a COVID Zoom coffee book, coffee table book. Um, oh, nice. I've been taking like screenshots of every Zoom call since this thing broke out. And every now and then I'll pull my like 30 page, you know, screenshot document up. Um, and there's a couple of shots there um, where I'm on a call with my health officer, my team doctor, my ATC, my head coach, and we had a positive case, you know, and when, when you got the positive case per the protocols, you, you have to be, you have to really think things through and you have to be honest. And I think the teams that were trying to fudge things, unfortunately, I think it came back to hurt them. Um, but, you know, cause it, it, it will be revealed at some point. Um, and, you know, it was really like, there was some dark days there where I just, I kept remembering like, this is soccer in the trenches. This feels like battle right now. We don't know what the long-term effects of, of COVID are going to be on these athletes and we need to protect their lungs. We have to protect their bodies, their future potential. And some of these guys don't want to be vaxxed and some of these guys don't understand the seriousness, you know? Um, and, you know, e even if you are pretty okay with statistics, you, you would know that, okay, relatively young, healthy professional athletes are, are low risk to having some sort of serious COVID. There was always that, but what if, you know, and so we developed an ethos um, here that, you know, COVID a, a, can be a deadly disease and we need to treat it with respect. 
and um, follow the protocols. And, you know, th and that worked. Um, the, the task force actually, believe it or not, still exists. Um, we've ratified, we, we, we still have to get our protocols ratified by the Players Association. The last time we did that was about a month and a half ago. So we're still, we're not nearly as active with weekly meetings as we were in 2020. Um, but it really, it, it was it was actually quite refreshing to work with a group of individuals that were small business owners, um, you know, that have so much to risk and lose, um, but we're trying to do the right thing. While, you know, I'd sit on task force for the city or the county and it, it was like they couldn't move fast enough that we saw that policy could not keep up with the changing conditions. And so I think that's where the frustration really came for some of us at the end that couldn't have fans in the stadiums. I know Omaha was was not that. Um, but, you know, certainly, I you know, I'd have to go and write 50 page reopening business plans and I'd go and study what they were doing in Europe because they were ahead of us or what the NFL was doing. And, you know, I think that's what's been still to this day very, the, the continued sort of remnants of, of COVID that I think will be with us for at least another 18 months, which is all the extra work that came with it because you had to get a policy approved or you were trying to circumvent certain things, um, you know, to save your business. And, and the other part that was really hard that I don't think it's talked a lot about um, but managing a, 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 an events business through the pandemic on the heels of a, a, this, you know, social justice um, sort of awakening that occurred, um, you know, my staff, um, really none of these, and I had to furlough 10 people, you know, that I had just hired and brought here across the country. You know, it's very hard to be a leader in, a, in, in, in this that kind of environment and motivate your staff when they're looking at you like, why are you making us work? I'm, and all I could think was, I'm trying to keep everybody's jobs and I'm trying to do that, be that light, be that joy, you know, and you're being, you, you're doing a service to your community, you know, and it was just always that. And then, you know, a year later, the great resignation coming around and having, you know, six of my staff, you know, poached by MLS teams or people, you know, saying, you know, I don't, you know, we're working too much or whatever it was. Um, and even with the other, you know, and, and, and all through this process, the silver lining is that if you weren't like really in deep thought about what you were observing and how it related to your business today and how it's going to eventually, you know, play out. Um, it, it, you were really missing out on an opportunity to be a better business owner or leader um, because um, now my third season here, um, I have the amazing staff that I want. Um, the fans are back it's night and day. My stresses today are so different than what they were a year ago, two years ago. Um, but I, I, I'm very grateful that all of the learning lessons that I've, I've incurred in my, my post here um, through this time period, because I think it has been actually one of the most exciting times to be alive. Like your brain is just like, I, you know, whether you're into game theory or, you know, thinking, you know, just con like reading the room and going, man, you know, wh what's the strategy here? It's, it's, 
it, it really is a, an interesting problem to solve, a series of problems to solve all the time. You have a lot of that optimism and the fact that you have that in the office and you have people that are saying, oh man, we're working too much, we're working too hard, all that kind of stuff. The fact that you changed gears and you tried to refocus their attention on the community and that they're providing a service to the community, you actually have people on your staff going out and volunteering for the community. You brought back the Barrios to Barrios. You're embracing the community. I mean, talk a little bit about that because you throw around ethos and you throw around community an awful lot. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. One of the first things I asked, well, there was five people that worked here when I arrived and that's including my coaching staff and front office. Wow. And one of the, and, and, and normally when you kind of come in for a turnaround job, you have to very quickly understand what everybody's skill sets are, what, 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 what are the highest priorities? What is the greatest danger? And, and you gotta go, you gotta go figure that out. And one of my first questions was, who's, who has the history of FC Tucson? I don't know it. Do we have a team archivist? And they, and surely we did. And it's our red hat. And he's just, you know, a local reporter. He's been to like, I think eight world cups. Um, we went to the gold cup final together in Vegas with the front office staff last year. He, he's a part of our family and, and he's not a full-time employee, but he, he is so passionate. You, there's, you know, every team has this, the person who keeps all the stats and, and, and the memorabilia and all of that. And what I, what I didn't have was like a canned mission statement. And what I didn't have was the runway that I had at New Mexico United of years prior to New Mexico United ever starting where I had done in-depth market research and like really knew the community, you know, I'd spent 13 years in Albuquerque. So I moved to a new city. I'm inheriting a club that I think is an important, you know, historical club in, in, in us soccer. Um, you know, what FC Tucson has done. It's a unique club. Um, and, I knew that I was going to have to try to like turn a big ship. And so I just started trying to find out, well, what's our current identity? And then what can I learn about the organization, you know, our past and pull what I can from that in the heydays that this organization had and like built on that again. And I, I used the existing mission statement that I think was something like FC Tucson is committed to the values of fair play and, you know, spreading the game of soccer across Southern Arizona. And that mission statement's just, that never felt right for me. And I've, you know, and, and I do say that the vision is clear, but the mission is still under construction here. It, it is, I think we're, and, and really what I realized is that it's my staff, it's my coaching, it's my players, it's the community, it's the fans that are gonna help educate and influence us on what our mission statement should be. Um, and so it was very hard, you know, the first two years to try to figure that out. So I, I would try to manufacture little things that I could. And of course, when that furlough had happened, um, you know, I was doing our books. I would have to do some digital media and social and, you know, all sorts of stuff again. Um, and, you know, in that process, 
um, I found a couple of key community leaders um, that I knew could help me. Because again, I had to close knowledge gaps. I'm an outsider coming to a new community. I'm taking over this soccer club. Um, many people, you know, were a little um, upset about Phoenix Rising only the team just because of that little brother. Um, you know, Phoenix is two hours north of us and it's six million people and we're a million. Um, and so uh, the first thing was like, okay, this isn't a brand new club like New Mexico United where I can concoct and manufacture the mission statement and the branding and like control all of that and place that kind of imagery in people's face without a past. I've inherited something that's a little hairy and they're not gonna just take that, you know? And I certainly can't market to the Latino and Spanish speaking audiences by just saying, you know, vamos. Um, because, because now, and, and here's why, um, we, we're the, the competition that sports teams as a whole face now, the greatest competition and threats that we face is the phone. And in, um, and in 2020, everybody invested in their home where in their home, you know, their lifestyles and all of that. And everybody and, I, and, and you know, was kind of getting exhausted. So by 20, you know, 21, um, I don't think we saw the audiences exactly because people were like, you know, it's not such a bad thing. Just sit here and watch ESPN from my living room and not go to the game. And if we're losing existing fans to that, then we're no doubt never going to gain the Gen Z fans, you know, um, and so again, I go back to going, hmm, what, what is that message that, that, that is gonna get people to become interested in what we're doing here? And so really the Barrio to Barrio event was like, okay, I've got, a, I've got a little, you know, my supporters group, you know, love those guys, but you know, things are a little anemic over there and, and they're in a transition. and. You got to balance, you know, the, the, the front office kind of intervening too much with supporters, but you got to kind of balance that. Um, and so I thought, well, I need to go create a new army of supporters. How do I do that? And so we came up with the Barrio to Barrio concept because it was April of 21. Um, this, you know, was a, this, this was a high risk. Um, you know, there's, there's a large community of color here. And that community is, you know, was very affected by COVID and left out, um, you know, health equity and all of that. So we thought, okay, well, what if we could partner with the county and deliver vaccines simultaneously? How do we get people to like come back out of their houses again? Because between the masks, the political rhetoric, and obviously, you know, the state that I'm in, um, it's intense and people have a lot of guns here and all of that. Um, how do I go, how can I, what's a soccer club sort of role in rebuilding a community in a post pandemic environment? Like that's the questions I was asking myself. And then if we do that, can I teach people soccer culture? And so what we did with the Barrio to Barrio was like, we created a TIFO painting station and we have a, like a really beautiful write-up on, you know, on a sign that just talks about the history of the TIFO and, you know, why you do that. Then we had like a drumming chanting area. And then we had, um, you know, like challenge games for the kids where they could wear, you know, win Puma backpacks, um, 
player appearances. Um, and then of course we dovetailed that with food trucks, music, games, and then the vaccines. And so um, it was sort of our introduction, I felt like to the community. And it was, it was me sort of testing the waters to see like, where are the hot pockets of the city where there's some people that can get really turned on by this and maybe I can meet with them and, you know, let them run with something or, um, how, you know, are we actually converting these people into fans? Um, you know, so it was a good training ground to kind of test a lot of different marketing ideas, but also for me, who was so new to the city after it just shut down, um, you know, to actually see what this community was like so that I could do my best work. And, um, and so this year we, we did bring it back. Um, you know, the sponsors that have come through this year are huge for us. Um, people are obviously clearly liking what we're seeing. And so that approach of community first, I think really speaks to people because if, um, if, if I can't just always be going to people and asking them to buy, we have to give back. And so, um, this year, uh, we did a free soccer clinic for 75 kids for every single one of these Barrio de Barrios. And they all came with these really great Puma backpacks. We created a whole new logo and um, it's been a really wild success. And so we've been doing them in different parts of the region. And, um, you know, I bring my academy coach out there. And, you know, if there's a little five-year-old, six-year-old that's just bald, has, has, you know, has that thing at five or six, I'm over there. Hey, whose whose parent is this? Okay, <laughs> you know, let, let and I and I'm talking to the parents, and I'm like, Seba, come over here and talk with you know with this little you know phenom's parents, and you know we're like educating them, and I go, you know, we have a professional, we have a professional team here, um, and you know we have an academy program. Of course, we have SC2s on youth, but your son seems to have a lot of talent and, and we really should, um, you know, we, we should try to connect and get them in the right environment. So um, it's been a wild success so far. And um, obviously the imagery that's generated from it, you know, evokes a lot of really positive. And so that's where I feel like the word of mouth marketing really takes on. And, and, and I think where we'll really see the benefits of that is in 2023. Cool. Yeah, man. I feel like we could talk soccer about you for hours and hours and hours, and I'm loving this conversation. I do want to ask a couple quick questions about you, maybe not so much about FC Tucson, because earlier this year, when you were on Walking 90, you said that you were interested in getting a turntable for your birthday. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I kind of want to learn more about the inspiration behind all of that and you before we started the episode you were talking about how your husband plays in a band i mean i want i want to learn all about this stuff yeah well and let me um yeah so i'm a person who probably you know should be here i um i'm a very lucky person because i um by the time i was in my late 20s i I, I had reached kind of a rock bottom in my life. I wasn't living up to the standards that I thought um, I should and um, developed a, a pretty healthy drinking problem <laughs> and was living, um, was living, uh, you know, two different lives. 
business person, Amanda, and then, you know, uh, somebody, you know, that would go be a gypsy for a few days. <laughs> and um, when I finally was, you know, blessed with a little bit of um, humility and I woke up one day and said, okay, this isn't the way to live anymore. And I sought out help. Um, I got to hit the reset button and rebuild my life. And that was in Albuquerque. And in, I think, a relatively short amount of time, the gifts that I started to receive in my life were tremendous. And, um, and so I had some good training ground in Albuquerque. I, I was able to, I had a business for about seven years there where I did some independent consulting, um, worked on a wide array of projects. Um, and I thought for many years um, that my resume of, you know, having a lot of varied industries, not staying at one place for, for too long uh, was a negative thing and really kind of beat myself up over it. And, um, and, <laughs> and then, you know, when I got offered this job after having so much success at New Mexico United, and then I consulted with some other teams, like I was, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when I first moved down here because I thought, well, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a soccer expert, um, but I, I hire them and I know how to build great companies and I know how to build community and I know how to throw really good parties. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I realized I was the perfect person for this job. Um, I'm also the kinds of soccer I'm also just not just the soccer executive. I'm just the kind of person who I go above and beyond. I, I do things that most people in this seat would not do. Um, and, um, and it's because I care. I can't uncare, you know? And I just, I think, you know, the sort of, when I look at my, our country and I look at, the the word patriot or patriotism and i see so much um you know so much just just all the divisiveness that's happening um i want to try to find a you know sort of a universal flag that we can all you know it's apolitical that we can kind of claim what patriotism is because um sports for me growing up um, saved my life. And they also helped me to learn how to have grit and think unbelievably big and per and pursuit in the pursuit of excellence and, and, and being great. And as a nation, as communities, we have to instill that in one another. Like we can't, we can't just say, yeah, things are all good. I don't need to go keep innovating and building. No, like we, we need, great minds we need passion and we need people who are um really working above and beyond to try to make our society better and whatever that looks like and i'm just really grateful that you know i've you know had been in retirement for you know double digit years um from you know um just living a, a different lifestyle and it's it's really given me so many gifts and so um you know, one of those was meeting my husband, his name is Malcolm. And um, we, um, you know, for all the single ladies out there, <laughs> um, you know, 
throw away everything that you think you know. You know, throw away what you think you know about what you are looking for in a partner or whatever. Like, if you find the right person, you'll know. And I uh, was really grateful to have met somebody who um, can embrace my power and not be intimidated by it and welcomes it and takes really good care of me. And um, he happens to be wicked smart and... um, (laughs) And, and he loves animals. And so, you know, we, we got some goats, um, in Albuquerque, we had two goats. Um, they were literally, they were his kids. Um, but yeah, so, so it was the two, it was the, it was the goat. We, we had some goats and they became our pets. And, um, so one of the goats was little black Philip from the witch. That's a witch reference. And then the other one was Dr. Reynaldo Cabeza. And um, my stepdaughter, who's getting married in next month, um, she named him Ronaldo. So Dr. Ronaldo Cabeza. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we, we, you know, Malcolm and I um, are surrounded, we're, especially in Albuquerque, we were always surrounded by a lot of friends. Uh, we'd have traveling musicians come through and stay at our house. Um, we like to entertain um, and we're not like, we don't like go out and drop it like it's hot at the bars and stuff, but we like to go and, and watch, you know, live music. And I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is, you know, partially cause I think my husband's still kind of stuck in the nineties a little bit, but um, you know, we just, we don't, we don't, we, we don't, um, you know, we don't want to give in to just, you know, um, like staying at home and being on our phones all night, even though, you know, that happens too. But um, yeah, so I can't really separate my personal life with my profession. That's I've, I've tried that before and that like all sorts of different ways. And the reality is, is like, this is just what I'm experiencing in this lifetime. I don't know what the next lifetime is going to be like, but I know that this is what my purpose is now. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I would like to continue to work in soccer. I, I love it. Um, but, you know, um, I've also thought about going into the film and industry and I have some creative things, you know, like music, um, film and when the time, if, and when there's a time to go and work on those things, I will, but honestly, like this soccer is life, um, to work in this business and to be a fan in this business, it's a lifestyle and you know that. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of what we experience right now, um, living in Southern Arizona is, uh, we've got a really cool house, um, backed up to some, some, some land, um, on a hill. And every day I have 17 javelina, which are the wild kind of pigs here. They come and hang out at our house all day. So we kind of have almost like a zoo, like, uh, um, sort of enclosure where we just sit and just stare out our windows pretty much. It sounds kind of boring, but like, we've got hawks that come and take baths in the water. And, um, but, uh, yeah. I, when are you, when are you going to get some alpacas? You, you've got alpacas? No. When are you going to get some alpacas? I think if we, we'd have to move somewhere, I think a lot cooler. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm digging. I love the Southwest. Um, and the food here is in Tucson in particular is really good. Um, we, 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 we cook a lot at home and we do like to dine as well. Um, 
I, I'm a sushi connoisseur um, and love, you know, seafood, fresh seafood. And, you know, there's, um, you know, the, there's a beach, you know, three and a half hours south of here. So the seafood here in Tucson is pretty awesome. And, um, but yeah, no, we, we watch a lot of soccer on, on in the house. I love watching. I, I actually want to ask you guys, why do you guys care so much? That's like what I want to know. It's like, why do you guys, why, why do you guys care so much about, about this? Brian, I'll let you go first. Um, well, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm big in the, the local scene. Um, I like something that kind of rallies the, the community around a common goal. So it, that was a big part of it. And the fact that it was soccer was a, was just kind of a bonus. I had started watching soccer maybe three or four years before Union Omaha came in. And so then when we got a team, and obviously with it being local, that just made it all the better. So, you know, I've met a lot of people through it too. So there's there's friendships now too that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's just, it, and it's, you know, it's nice to have something to do and something to look forward to, especially with, some of the success the team has had and stuff like that it makes it really easy yeah yeah and winning, uh, winning no doubt does make things easier i will say that it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> i absolutely love the sport of soccer i've been playing and watching since i was a young child i played all the way through high school i uh was getting scouted to play in college uh ended up not playing because i chose a degree at a school where they didn't have a men's soccer program. Um, so that was the end of my playing days. I still play pickup game, you know, beer leagues, all that kind of stuff. But I just love the sport of soccer. I I could talk about soccer all day. Uh, I don't engage in a lot of the, the trash talk and all that kind of stuff. I like to joke around with people. But just the the community of soccer in and of itself, I, I'm just, I, I love soccer. I love talking about it. I love hanging out with people who who like soccer too. What do you what do you think the potential is for League One? Hmm. Um, that's a tough one. It, it, I think it comes down to the reshaping of the U.S. pyramid and the way it's run. Um, I think in its current form, it might not. It might not it's it's gonna grow but in its current form it's not gonna grow as much as it probably should so until it gets reshaped and kind of redone to i don't want to say look more like the english game but I, I i guess i just will um until it looks a little bit more like the english game then it is going to be a little bit different and the potential for growth probably isn't going to be as high I think it's pretty exciting to think about the possibilities to come with League One, especially with the 2026 World Cup being hosted in Canada, U.S., Mexico. And I think with the recent statements made by uh, Papadakis uh, saying that there's going to be promotion relegation by 2026, I think it's exciting to to know that there's going to be that kind of growth in League One, especially when we heard that there's going to be something like 
32 teams in League One uh, in the coming decade. Uh, so there's going to be massive expansion in League One. The promotion relegation means there's going to be a whole lot more competitiveness uh, at the top end. I don't know if they're going to do promotion relegation from League One down to League Two, but just to have that that level of competition involved and that that massive expansion and growth, there's going to be a, a lot of competition amongst the the teams in the league and so i think this is a very exciting time for league one fans and i think uh the next decade is is going to be very very fun to watch um and maybe we can save this for another episode but um you know um you know if 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 i was alec papadakis and i had successfully in the last 13 years built what the usl is today some of your brightest and most successful markets go to mls franchises i'd be pretty upset fc cincinnati nashville charlotte sac republic orlando city um austin um st louis um portland um um you know i i would i would be pretty upset about that and then and i would almost say that you know um the mls cannot do that they can't do what the usl has been able to do and because i think and especially through covid we saw this where all the overhead you know if you recall toronto fc um revolution all, all, all of those teams where we were playing with them and we knew how much money they were losing and then of course the you know um the sort of dissolvement of the da um create opened up a lot of opportunities for what we're seeing now which is obviously ecnl and mls next and now you're seeing three third division team you know leagues um, but when you look at the actual f- footprint of USL properties uh, across the country, there is they have more market share p- and probably the potential for more eyeballs than what the MLS does right, right now. And I think because USL teams don't have the kind of overhead that MLS teams do, and because they're in smaller cities, they're usually owned and operated by local ownership group. There's such a stronger connection with the fan, um, the players in the front office than I think, you know, the big league, the major league soccer. And, and you know, let's just do some math. Um, you know, I think the, the, the what, what is it? I think that the, the annual sort of revenues for MLS, I think, are about a billion dollars. They're about a billion dollars, I think, annually. They could be a little bit, maybe it's more, even if it was if it was more, but I think it's you you want to look that up, Rich. But I, I, think, I think it's, it's right around I think it's right around a billion. Yeah. Okay. And you know, the league's been around what, 27 years. And you know, I always have to remind people we're building a sports league and we're in the infancy of that. Like the ownership groups that are coming in today are not the same as they were five years, 10 years ago. You have interests now in the Premier League, Liga MX, South America. 
the world is watching what we're doing right now because of what we've been able to prop up successfully in a very short amount of time. And now you're even seeing that new layer of success, Louisville obviously being the sort of flagship club where they've got, you know, the, the, the training facility, the youth. Um, and then of course they built their beautiful stadium and, and are a cash flow positive business. There's, there's about a handful of championship clubs that are cash flow positive. I don't, that that's amazing to me when, uh, in a, a brand new sports league that that can happen, especially in soccer in the United States. Yeah. And so I think, I think that the infrastructure that the USL has been building is setting it up for a pro rel model. Now take a step back. Where's us soccer in all of this? <laughs> and it's kind of, and it's, and I asked that question, I'm like, what is, U.S. Soccer's commitment to player development and, you know, seeing the USL succeed because they're having a hand in player development and isn't this about the national team and, you know, so on. So that's a question for U.S. Soccer, if anybody's listening. Um, but, you know, okay, so you've heard MLS and USL are in a war. You know, it's it, the soccer wars are here. Um, so what does that look like? Well, we just saw Nashville announce that they're going to put their MLS Next Pro team in Huntsville, Alabama. And you have to, you, and you go, huh, okay, well, even if they have a different ownership group and they're going to claim that they have, have this affiliation uh, with Nashville, that's great. The USL's already been doing that with clubs like RGB. So what, what, what is this new product that MLS think it can compete with against the USL? Because this MLS Sex Pro League is a bunch of teenagers and they're not even being held to the same sort of collective bargaining agreements as the MLS. So if you're a decent player that knows you can go and get paid more in League One or USL Championship, why would you go in an MLS Next Pro? And so, and you get to play in front of a lot of fans. Exactly. And so I think when you saw the little tactics that are coming out now from the MLS are quite interesting, you know, this whole PR fiasco in Los Angeles and Irvine between the galaxy and orange County uh, isn't an example of that, but let's just think about this. You know, these teams cost anywhere from four to six million dollars a year to operate. And if MLS Next Pro, what what is the purpose of MLS Next Pro? Is it to, you know, just be a reserve team to, to send players down to get some minutes? Or is it actually bringing them up through an academy system? I don't. And so you're going to either be in a, you're either throwing money to the tune of $6 million or more a year for what? Because I don't think the MLS like second and third division leagues that they want to build to try to build pro rel are ready to make that full commitment to build a New Mexico United, to build a Louisville. It takes a, a, a lot. Uh, it's, it's not just about bringing technical experts in. And we see that nobody's going to these MLS Next Pro games. In my opinion, there's no commercial viability there. 
So you have to, I think it's an interesting question, you know, like, so what's that, what is that play? What, what, it, why are, why, why is the MLS moving into Huntsville? Cause I'm probably sure the USL has aspirations to do a team there. Are they just trying to hold a market, you know? So I think it's an, I think it's interesting, but I, I think that, um, I, 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 I do think that you'll, you will see some changes with different teams. Um, you might, you know, obviously see some league two teams come up into the championship in the coming years because of these new conglomerates that are kind of coming in and building stadiums and building everything that you need, like financially to make these a viable long-term business. Um, so I, I think that's interesting and I'd love to kind of follow up with you, but I'll say this much. I love going to the ownership meetings in the summer and the winter summit meetings for the league in the winter, because every time I get to be around my fellow board of governors, presidents, and people who work in this industry, there's this amazing energy. Same with the supporters too. Like there's this amazing energy that I always go, we're a bunch of ambitious motherfuckers, aren't we? And they're like, yeah, we are. Cause we're all right now. We're all right now. Like doing this ma major lift, like, you good over there, you got your stadium deal, you're working on your training facility, you're building your academy and trying to run an operation in, in a pandemic, you good? I'm good, I'm barely hanging in there, but I'm good. You, same. And we're all just like, hold it and we're gonna lift, one, two, three, lift at the same time. And we're all in this sort of sprint for the next four years to, to make sure that we are poised and strategically ready for when that 2X happens when you own you know the the youth the youth club in your town and now you can control the true development pathway of your your, your kids after they've just watched the usa qualify for another world cup and play on their home turf like that's 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 what's um i think very exciting is that we're all we all and you guys included all have a hand in building building this 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 future together it, it, it's exciting to be a part of that nice definitely well brian do you have any more questions uh no i actually i think i'm i think we've pretty much covered all all yeah. the stuff we were going to cover i mean i feel like like i said i i feel like i could talk to you i, I feel like we could hang out for like hours and hours yeah definitely I would, okay. I would i i would love well, to just pick your me. mind okay so tucson Arizona, January, either late January, probably actually more like mid-February is where you guys are going to need to be. Um, we're in the early stages of this idea. We're pitching it to the league right now. But, um, you know, we've hosted the MLS preseason here for many, many years where we bring out anywhere from four to eight different MLS teams. They train here for six weeks. They train here for one week. And then we put a bunch of fixtures together. So this year we had uh, a Timbers Sounders fixture that sold out. Um, I've got, you know, RSL, um, Houston, Columbus. We, we, we bring out a lot of great teams. Uh, well, this year, uh, USL championship teams came and Louisville was, you know, our kind of anchor. And then we brought Oakland Roots. And then, of course, El Paso came and Colorado Switchback. So that's that's we're kind of the spot here. And um, what I'm thinking is like a soccer con kind of idea where if we can get some League One teams down here, especially you cold weather teams, 
and we can put all like just make it a little vacation like we'll put together some great hotel packages and and then we can put like some supporter workshops together or we can do um you know we can do we can sit around and drink coffee beer or whatever and just shoot the shit um and talk about this stuff but ultimately that that's coming that's hopefully going to happen in february february 23 um so more about that but we're trying you know we're trying to kind of create a, a place where we can elevate the usl's name demonstrate the soccer pyramid having first second and third division soccer here maybe even kind of set up a player trial too so that like all kind of you know think soccer converging here at one time. So um, yeah, save the date for, you know, somewhere around mid-February to maybe make a trek to sunny Tucson. Absolutely. Sounds yeah, that sounds, that sounds good to me. My birthday yeah. is February 13th. So, Ooh. and I love Arizona, so yeah. might have to make that happen. Well, Amanda, we really appreciate you being on the show. We really appreciate you taking all this time to, to chat with us and answer questions. We, hit a wide variety of questions. We even had some on the spot, so I appreciate you taking the time to answer every single one of them. We really want to have you on the show again. I know when Brian and I were first talking about making this podcast, you were one of the first names of people that we wanted to interview. So mm -hmm. we're very happy that you are here to, to join us. Uh, we're happy to make it happen. So, yeah. I, I You guys are my people. We're, we're each other's people. So, um, yeah, so it's great to meet you. Awesome. Um, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for caring so much because, you know, for us, you know, it, it's so much work running these teams and it, it there's no nine to fivers here. Anybody who comes here wanting to do a nine to five, I go, bye. <laughs> that's, right. that's not welcome here. It, it's our life, you know, and, and the payoff for us is the smiles on the fans' faces at the end of the night when we say goodbye. You know, even when it's a loss, it's tough. Um, and so we do this for you. And just to see that you, there's people out there that care so much or equally as much as we care, like, it, it makes it makes, it makes makes our day, it makes it makes this job all, all worth it. So um, thank you, you guys. Um, good luck to your team. Um, Thank you. Who knows? Maybe well, there will be another uh, playoff in Omaha again this year. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think I'm going to sign a petition to have Union Omaha get all of their Tucson games away, like out of the way in like the first few weeks of the season, because you guys go on your hot streaks at the end mm -hmm. of the season, and you guys are way too dangerous to to want to play toward the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Alex Tush, by the way, Alex is my buddy. Yeah. And Alex, you know, he used to play for the PDL team in Albuquerque back in the day. And then he was an intern for me at New Mexico United when we were building oh, cool. the club wow. in 2018. So I, did not um, know I, that. I was very freaked out. I was very freaked out when I saw that accident and I like sent him a text and I was like, are you okay? And um, he has a twin brother who also played soccer. Um, and uh, it was nice seeing him here when he came out for the game. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, your, your leg's okay. He's like, yeah, it looked a lot worse than it was. I was like, thank God, because that was an, you know, yeah. He's your guys who started starting center back, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, Dalton Knutson, yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. yeah, that was a scary, that was a scary, you guys were probably at the state. I don't, was that at your stadium? No, that was Richmond. No, Richmond. that was in Richmond, yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I was I'm holding my breath when we now. saw it. 
I know. Okay. Well, you guys That's... have a great night and thank you again. We'll take care. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Have a good night. Thank you very much. Good night. See you. All right. So that was FC Tucson president Amanda Powers. And man, that was that was a fun interview. Yeah, it really was. It her her passion for her team comes through really well and it was kind of nice hearing more of the business aspect of running the clubs and doing stuff like that. So great insight there. Yeah. And the, the positivity and the passion that just flows from her with the club and the way that she directs it toward her staff, toward her players, toward the community. I mean, yeah, she's, she's a driven lady, but she wants to help every single person along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a rare person in any industry. Yeah. So we're lucky to, to have her in USL. Yeah. And I mean, it gave us a little bit of uh hopefully inside information about the, uh, the fan fest or fan con or whatever, yeah. whatever they're going to end up calling it. So, I mean, everybody can start getting their, uh, their, their plans in order to get out to Tucson yeah, we can have a huge birthday bash for you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I know I'm going to Disney around that time, so I'm still gonna try to make that happen too, though. Try to hit both of them, you know. Cool. Nice. Well, Brian and I uh, discussed whether or not we wanted to do a review, but given the fact that we had that long of an interview with that much quality uh, and you know quantity in it. We wanted to, to leave the interview as is. And um, so we are not going to do a review tonight. We're going to leave that interview to be the the sole subject of, of tonight's podcast. So I hope you all enjoyed the interview. Uh, we look forward to scheduling more interviews for all of you out there and enjoy this week's action. I think we're in week 26 right now. So um, enjoy yep. the, this weekend's action. It's going to be really, really fun. There's some good action coming our way. Yeah, and there'll be a lot to break down on the next show. We'll uh, try to get a kind of playoff outlook going and and see kind of where we're at here. Um, a lot of a lot of interesting things going on, and so we'll see if Tucson can keep their run going too. Yep. Yeah, these are exciting times in in League One. So so stay tuned. Watch all the games you want to. Watch all the team. The, watch all the games you can mm -hmm. keep following us keep listening to all the other podcasts give all the love you can to, to all the podcasts and all the people that are writing articles and everything these are exciting times so keep checking back for more content and we're going to give it to you yeah definitely all right everybody have a good rest of the week and uh we'll see you next episode all right thanks guys we'll see you